again, I want to welcome you. If you're a visitor to Redeemer, uh, I see a lot of folks who uh, are, are visiting that were at Redeemer years ago. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Rob Edwards and uh, Angie, his wife and family. Rob is, uh, was the RUF campus minister uh, here at University of Georgia for 10 years. Did a great job. And, uh, and is uh, planning a church. I guess it's particularized now, right? In, uh, in Virginia. So we're glad to have you. Uh, but if you are visiting today for the first time, you're trying to figure out what Redeemer's about, let me tell you one thing that we do. We preach through the Bible. We usually preach through books. Uh, I just finished a series on the Lord's Prayer in the spring. Uh, I'm going to start uh, in Genesis in several weeks uh, to, to address a very important issue uh, that theologians call cosmology. I'll explain it later. Not now. But, so what we've kind of had this summer is freestanding sermons. And uh, some of y'all joke that you hadn't seen me a whole lot. And, uh, and, and uh, well, uh, p- partly uh, that is because I've been studying, partly vacation, but also because we are trying to equip young men to go in the ministry. Now, let me ask y'all something. Would you say these young men that have been preaching have done a good job? Absolutely. And I'll tell you that, that through, uh, through RUF and the Ministry of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, almost 40 men have gone into the ministry of Jesus Christ. Because we want to not only reach, but equip. Equip people to go and preach the word. And so, the kind of the theme that's been, what's on my mind, well, it's not just on our mind, but maybe with the Lord, you know, if you got one shot at preaching something. So that's what they've been preaching. Well, I've got two more to do. We have two more, and I, and I get to do those. Okay? So, uh, as, as we look at what's on my mind today, I think it's a very important topic. I think it's a very important subject. Free, freestanding sermon. And uh, the way this really hit me as I was doing the Bible reading uh, through, uh, through, um, our, on our webpage, and I came to a passage in Matthew that I think is at the very heart, the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. And we address that question here all the time. What does it really mean? So I want you to turn uh, to your Bibles in Matthew, and if you don't have your Bible, we have the bulletin right here, and we print it out because we believe this is God's Word. So let me read from Matthew. Uh, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven Uh, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle one, settle one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had that payment might be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servants, so so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will 
pay you. And refused. And went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw this, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy upon you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, these are encouraging words and sobering words if we do not understand them. Uh, Father, there's no one in this room that does not need to be forgiven. And therefore, there's no one in this room who professes Christ that should not forgive. Lord, we confess to you that we often worship you with our lips and our minds, but not with our being, not with giving our hands and feet and every part of who we are to be crucified with Christ. Father, I pray for all of us, including myself, that we might know this gospel in such a way that we would know the joy of releasing people, the joy of forgiveness. I pray for any hearts that are hard this morning, Christian or not Christian. That you would remind them of the debt they owe and if they're believers, the debt that has been paid 2,000 years ago. So Lord, we pray that you would make this word very applicable to, to, to us and we know that we cannot do any of this apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray for his presence this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, On uh, March the 6th, uh, 1927, uh, the the philosopher, maybe you've heard his name, Bertrand Russell, uh, gave a lecture to the National Secular Society uh, in London, England. The topic of his lecture was, why I am not Christian? Uh, It was uh, Russell's contention uh, that religion is quite the plague on mankind. That it strikes at the human reason and is harmful to the progression of mankind. Uh, He once said this, "I I am firmly convinced that religions do harm as I believe they are untrue. Now, I want to read the opening statement of Bertrand Russell uh, at this lecture in uh, 1927. He said, as your chairman has told you, the subject about which I'm going to speak tonight is why I'm not a Christian. Now, perhaps it would be as well, first of all, to try to make out what one means by the word Christian. For it is used these days in a very loose sense by a great many people. 
Some people mean no more uh, by it than a person who attempts to live a good life. And in that sense, I suppose that there would be Christians in all sects and creeds. But I do not think that the proper use of the word, if only because it would imply that all the other people are not Christians, Buddhists or Confucians, Muslims, and so on, are not trying to live a good life. So I don't mean by a Christian any person who tries to live decently according to his lights. In other words, maybe the way a lot of you are thinking today, that being a Christian is being a good person. Being a moral person has nothing to do with it. Bertrand Russell understood that, and he was an atheist. But let me tell you what he says about a Christian. So he's defining what a Christian is. I think you must have a certain amount of definite belief before you have a right to call yourself a Christian. The word does not have quite such a full-blooded meaning now as it did in the times of St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas. For in those days, if a man said that he was a Christian, he was known by what he meant. You accepted a whole collection of creeds which were set out with great precision. And every single syllable of those creeds, you believed with a whole strength of your conviction. You know, how insightful for him to define, at least in his mind, what a true Christian is before he began to explain uh, to his audience why he's not one. He does a nice job, I think, of defining that. Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. Uh, if one uh, that every professing Christian should ask himself in earnest, what, what is a Christian? I need to know what I believe, right? You need to know what you believe. If you say you're a Christian and you're not precise, and it's some vague notion of something, then maybe you're not a Christian. Every Sunday, we say the Apostles' Creed. You know why we say that? Because what? We're doing the religious thing. No, because we are saying, we believe what our fathers have given us and what the Scripture says. That God is the Creator. That sin is entered. Christ is the Redeemer. He was crucified. He was raised from the dead. And He's coming back again to judge the living and the dead. That's what it means to be a Christian. To not believe these things or to not have them in any way penetrate who we are is to not be a Christian. Certainly one cannot be a Christian if they don't believe these things. But let me ask you this. Is it possible to be a professing Christian, an earnest believer in the ancient priests, that you're a firm believer in the Reformed doctrines which is set forth in the Westminster Confession of Faith? And you know what's in every chapter. But be completely dead to the existential realities of what a Christian is. Is that a legitimate question? I'm certain of it. Uh, Jesus throughout his ministry is quite clear about his definition of what he thinks a true follower of him is. And it's not the one that's really dedicated or the one that's a really committed disciple. Uh, it, it, it is one who's kind of entering in to following him and being crucified with Christ. I think that's what it means. Uh, there, there's so many places in the scriptures that Jesus is challenging us. Okay, sure, you say you believe. 
Paul speaks to this in Romans 2 and he says, yes, the people of Israel were circumcised. They were the people of God, the visible churches we've talk, talked about. But it's only those who are circumcised of heart. A work of the Spirit. A work of grace. So throughout the Gospels, I could give you passage after passage. But I want to read one. In, in Matthew chapter 25. Um, let me read what Jesus says. He's, he's getting ready to be crucified. And he says, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate the people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? Or when you were thirsty, give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I mean, Jesus is saying that yes, it's important that you believe the right things. But those right things are a door into life. And a life that is concerned about those who are around you. Uh, a life that is, is, is filled with service to God. I mean, if you're a Christian, and you look at your calendar, and there's nothing there, no money given, then that's a serious challenge. Well, in our text today, we have another one. Because if we're going to say, so really what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, certainly our text says God is gracious, He's merciful. Do y'all see that in the text? I mean, He's forgiving, abounding sin, the great debt. But I think our text is pretty clear that what Jesus is also saying is this. If one is truly a Christian, they will live a life of forgiveness. Matter of fact, I would say you can't help but do that. Because you see, as a Christian, once you enter in and understand the work of Christ, you're always having to understand that. It's not like, oh yeah, okay, boy, I, you know, I kind of slept around and I was a drug user and now I came to Jesus. No, I mean every day. And it seems to me that what Jesus is saying is the essence of knowing whether you're born again. And not just baptized with water, but you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Is that you live in the position of always forgiving. You see, Christianity is not just a matter of the mind. But it's a matter of a heart that has been transformed. I, 
I wish I could read all of Jeremiah 31 to him. I'm also reading through Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a pretty dark book. I mean, I mean, judgment's coming. The people that has, we're always saying uh, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, and so on and so forth. Eventually, God just with his own people says, you know what, I'm done. But he makes a promise in Jeremiah 31 that there's going to come a time, unlike to your fathers under the covenant where the law was written on stone, I will write my law upon their heart. Because you see the essence of being a Christian. And Jesus boiled the whole testament down to love God and love people. And if you're going to do that, you're going to have to forgive. Now, so, I, so as I looked at this text, and, and you know, it's always interesting. How do you do an outline? What, what do you, what do you, I mean, so much is so much in the text. What, what do you say? Rob, you ever struggle with that? It's like, what am I supposed to say? What's the thing I really, because there's so much to say. Um, but here, here's the, here's the three, three points, and then we're going to come to communion. Oh, and by the way, I wouldn't come to communion this Sunday if you don't forgive, especially this Sunday. We say it every week. But the first, there's this question concerning forgiveness. That's the first thing. You don't see a question that's asked. And then we see a definitive answer to that question. Very clear. And then there's a warning. If you don't respond to the parable that Jesus gives. So, the first is, is the question concerning forgiveness. Here's the, here's the question. It's in verse 21. Y'all see the question? So Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as seven times? Now, why is he asking this question? Is it just willy-nilly, randomly? Well, if you've been any, under any what we call historical redemptive preaching, we say that all preaching is in the context of the whole Bible. The whole Bible is about Jesus Christ and the need for redemption, the resurrection. And so if that's the case, then every text... Excuse me, it has a reason that it's where it is. And every text has a context. And so what you begin to do is you go, well, why is he asking this question? Well, you know what's very interesting is uh, he's saying this, he's asking this question in light of what Jesus had just said about church discipline. Okay, now, let me tell you this. I'm going to be a little theological here with you a minute. Most theologians say there are three marks of a church as a faithful church. If Rob's church is going to be faithful, he's got these three marks. Any church is faithful. I don't care if it's Baptist or Methodist. And if it doesn't have these three marks, it's not faithful. One is the preaching of the gospel. You're not just hearing a bunch of stories and do good and be good and try hard. No, you're hearing you're not good. Don't try hard. Because it won't do you a bit of good. Look to Christ. That's the first thing. The second thing is the right use of the sacraments. And the thing that's amazing about evangelical people is we don't like the word. We're kind of squeamish about sacrament. So that's what Eastern Orthodox people do. That's what Roman Catholics do. And, and yet, very clearly in the scriptures and throughout our tradition, actually, is this idea of the word and the sacrament, a right, a right a use of the sac- sacraments. In fact, I would tell you this. If you don't use the sacraments rightly, they will turn on you. And then uh, church discipline. Y'all know that's one of the three marks of the church. Well, 
Jesus uh, had just got through explaining uh, what needs to take place in, in a church discipline. Now, the, why, is it, why is he talking about this? This is his fourth discourse. And in his fourth discourse in Matthew, now he's talking about relationships within the kingdom of God. What does it look like in relationships within the kingdom of God? Well, let me ask you, do y'all think that's important? Don't you think more unbelievers, maybe if you're an unbeliever here today, you're not a Christian, maybe the reason you left the church a long time ago is because you got sick of there not being love and mercy. Saying one thing and doing another. And so in this context, Jesus is saying in the church, the visible church, which God has ordained, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, to bring the kingdom of God to Athens. Just one expression of it. What Jesus is saying is that there's always going to be conflict. You know why? Because we just read in Matthew 25, there's always going to be sheep and goats together. Uh, Jesus says there's going to be wheat and tares. The wheat and the tares, they look just alike, exactly alike. And so Jesus says, don't do the harvest too soon when the, when the weight of the fruit bows down the true believer. And all those who profess one thing, but they have no fruit in their life, in the end, the sickle will come. And so Jesus is saying that within the body of Christ, there's going to be conflict, and therefore, there's a proper way to do it. And I'm going to tell you right now that we've done it many times in 19 years, but the fact of the matter is, church discipline it is a process. I mean, you're under it right now. For all I know, some of you are having affairs right now. Or uh, you're, you're cheating somebody in business. But certainly one of these is you're not forgiving people. Which Jesus might say is even worse than the others. And so he says there's this process that you go through. If you have something against a brother, you go to him. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm just going to tell you. This is what Jesus says. If you don't go to the person first, but you go to me. I'm telling you, if you go to me and say, I'm having struggles with somebody, I'm not going to hear it. You need to have the courage to go for the sake of at least winning your brother to confront them. Would y'all agree with that? Instead of going, well, you know, how over here. Versus coming to me. Oh, and I'm telling you, that's a great sin, divisiveness. And so you, you go to your brother and say, hey, we're disconnected. You ever gotten together and talked to somebody and said, man, what's going on here? I th and, they, and they basically say, no, you got the problem. You ever had that happen? I have many, many times. And then I go, well, maybe I'm wrong. So then you have the right to go to another brother. And you go to that brother and say, uh, hey, um, have you noticed this? And then you go confront him. But you say yes, and so you both confront him. That's what Jesus said. I don't have time to look at the text. And if he repents, you won your brother. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Yeah, we need to all get along. Ah, oh, you're screwed up. I'm screwed up. Let's forgive each other and move on. But if they don't repent, then I tell you what, the, Jesus is very clear. You bring them to the session. That's what he means, the church. And if they don't repent, then you know what Jesus says? You treat them as an unbeliever. You know why? Because you're acting like an unbeliever. All right, so that's the context. So right after that, Peter comes up and says, well, i got a question for you. Suppose this guy keeps repenting. Suppose you're not kicking him out of the church. And, uh, and you say, um, well, how many times am I supposed to forgive him? Especially against me. Should I forgive him seven times? Now, I think Peter is thinking uh, that he is... Uh, 
He's asking a good question and a gracious question because the rabbis at that time said, you only have to forgive somebody three times. So he's been all pious about it. And it may be like the kid who raises his hand in class to ask the question and everybody knows, he already knows the answer. You know kids know what I'm talking about? I used to do it all the time, actually. <laughs> oh, how that's a wonderful question. And the teacher's like, oh, man. But uh, so he's asking the question. And, and, and uh, so, so he's putting a limit on it. Double what the rabbis are saying plus one. And Jesus' direct answer is seven times seven. Seventy-seven times, I'm sorry. Seventy-seven times. Now, we need to understand um, that Jesus uh, is, is really saying, you always have to forgive them. Not every now and then. Not occasionally. Now maybe at this point, some of you might be going, wait a minute. (laughs) Uh, You have no idea what I deal with. You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know the people I work with. You don't know how rebellious my children are. You have no idea what I deal with. You don't know what I've dealt with at school with the people when I'm in gym class making fun of me. Or people... Making fun of me on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it may be. But this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Now, I'm going to tell you, secondly, that's the question that's asked. How many times are you supposed to forgive? Well, let me, let me ask you. How many times are you supposed to forgive? Well, if you don't like the direct answer, you certainly won't like the parable. Because after he gives the direct answer, uh, Jesus is wonderful about giving illustrations. I've had a guy one time tell me, he said, I don't believe in too many illustrations and mess up the exegesis. And I said, well, let me give you one word, parables. He gives us parables so we can get it, so we can understand. And what is the parable that he gives? Well, notice he gives this parable about uh, this man who is a servant of a king. And, and Jesus says, uh, this man owed this king a great deal of money, but the king was ready not only to bring the accounts in and let's settle up for, for him, but for everybody. Okay? You notice it says that, all the accounts? That would be you and me. And so here's a guy that comes to him who's a servant. Uh, and the servant says, um, uh, uh, Master, uh, I'll pay you back. Now, let me tell you what he had to pay him back. 10,000 talents. That means a lot to y'all, doesn't it? Okay, well, just to wrap your mind around this, he owed 10,000 talents. One talent was, uh, in today's term, would be $660,000. That's one talent. So I pulled out my iPhone on my calculator, and I went, hmm, 666,000 times 10,000. And... My, my, the thing on the calculator gave me an, an answer that I had no idea what it was saying. Or else it didn't, under, didn't know the answer. But it's billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. Now, here was, here's what's amazing uh, about this man. First off, you say, well, how would a, how would a servant owe, owe billions of, of dollars? Well, well, there's all kind of servants that kings had. It could have been the cupbearer. I doubt it was him. But it could have been that this was a vessel. He was a satrap. He was, uh, 
He, he was a king under the king, and he had squandered or corrupted what was given to him. Now, let me tell you how much this man doesn't give it and get it, and it tips you off a little bit. He says, I'll pay you back. Oh, yeah, 660 years of wages. Now, there's several things that Jesus says immediately in this text. Is number one, that king obviously represents who God is. And the debt that man has represents your debt, but it's even worse, ladies and gentlemen. Because you see, the God, who's the God revealed in the Bible, because he is good and righteous and just, demands an accounting. And somebody has to pay. So you see, he didn't really understand the situation, did he? By the way, always the beginning of knowing Jesus Christ is you becoming, you know, sin becomes exceedingly sinful. Well, I know I, I, I know I shouldn't do that. But I really don't like you. No, you become so overwhelmed. You're like the pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress when the weight was so great upon him, his burden of sin, it was weighing him down. And the more he read the Bible, the law of God, the more it weighed him down. Nobody else had the burden. But he had the burden. But, but notice what Jesus says about this king, ladies and gentlemen. He says that this king, his heart went out for him. This king had compassion. I'm going to tell you, the Greek word there is just like his guts are spilling out. Man, I don't want you to, I don't want you to lose everything. I certainly don't want to put your wife and your children in prison. I don't want to do that. And so he has compassion. Now here's what you really need to understand. So how does he forgive him? How does he forgive him the debt? Did the money go away, ladies and gentlemen? The trillions of dollars? No. He paid. He bore the debt. He was willing maybe to lose his kingdom to forgive this guy because he stuck with the debt. And if you really want to know what forgiveness is, that's exactly what it is. You pay the debt for somebody else's sin. Let me go straight this way and then I'll come to my last point. Um, if Mary Beth and I come over to your house and you serve us dinner, which I'll take a free meal anytime. Invite me over. Uh, steak, medium rare. Uh, but, if, but, if I, but if I come over to your house and uh, while we're over there, it was a beautiful day, but then all of a sudden it started raining. A big thundercloud comes. And I uh, say, hey, Bob, man, I'm sorry, I forgot my umbrella. He said, yeah, man, I borrowed my umbrella. You can have my umbrella. So I, I take the umbrella. And if you know anything about me, don't give me anything. Because you ain't getting it back. Um, and so I lose the umbrella. Umbrella. Gone. So I go back to Bob. Say, Bob, look, I'm, the, I'm your pastor. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? And he says, sure, that's $15. Well, wait a minute. Well, I'm paying the debt, you see. So he didn't forgive me. I just got justice. Just give me my umbrella back. Go buy one. You can buy it on sale, save yourself $2. Or he says, hey, listen, don't worry about it. Don't worry about my umbrella. I love you. No problem. But he's got to pay for the umbrella. You understand that? Somebody has to pay. 
And I'm here to tell you today, it's one thing if it's an umbrella. But if, if I have an affair against my wife, and my wife wants to stay in a relationship with me, it's certainly not me going and buying some flowers and say, hey, I'm sorry. There's nothing I could do to pay that debt. But if she really loves me unconditionally, and she wants to stay in that relationship with me, then she pays. That's the gospel. So lastly, and I have to be very brief on this, there's a warning if you don't get this. Uh, the warning's very clear. So the guy goes out, he gets forgiven, great. So what does he do? He goes to a fellow servant, grabs him by the throat, a servant that owed him, oh, it was about uh, three quarters of a year's pay, and demands it from him. Do you understand what Jesus is trying to say here? If you do not forgive, you're just like that guy. And notice the effects of unforgiveness and getting together with everybody else and causing division, talking about that person. They did that and they did this as though we hadn't done anything. Let me tell you what it does. Notice what it did to his fellow servants. It discouraged them, didn't it? They were dismayed. How can you do this? You owed $7 billion. And this guy owes you $800. Uh, well, you know, the way this thing ends is Jesus says, uh, you know what? The, the heavenly father, the king, was angry. And he cast him into prison. You know what Jesus is talking about there? Hell. So, so let me ask you this. Do you really like being unforgiving? I mean, is that really, is being a bitter person and an angry person, isn't that a lot of joy in life? Doesn't that bring life and joy to everybody else? Your unforgiveness. Let, let me conclude with this. I, I've been amazed, uh, several things I've heard, but I've been amazed at our African-American brothers and sisters in Charleston, South Carolina. Matter of fact, it makes me think of how much we don't understand throughout the centuries the African-American church in America, our brothers and sisters, who sometimes we just don't even think about. How much they have had to learn over the years, over the generations, to forgive us. And why do they forgive us? Because of Jesus. I'm not black. First, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. God is my father. And these people in Charleston, these brothers and sisters, forgave this man that I wanted to strangle him. How about you? ISIS and Muslims and Democrats and Republicans. Seriously. It's a dangerous place to be. One last thing. I heard this through a friend of mine, um, Ray Cortez. He tells a story uh, about, uh, in South Africa, there was kind of a, uh, when apartheid was over, um, there, was a, there was a white police officer named Vanderblok. And, uh, and he was on trial, and he killed this woman's husband and burned him alive. No, excuse me, killed the son first. 
And then came and got the, son, uh, the, the dad, and, and, and they killed him, and they burned him alive. And so, uh, the, so he's convicted. And, and the court turned and asked her, what, what would require reconciliation for you? What, what would it require? And she said three things. Number one, I just want to know where, 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 they, where his ashes are. Please let me know where his ashes are so I can give him a decent burial. And then she said, secondly, you robbed me of my family. And I'm a mother. And so I want you to come to, to, our, to my community and be with me for two days a week because I'd love to mother you. I, I would love to, you, you obviously need some nurturing. And then the last thing, she said this, I want you to come over here right now and, and, and let me hug you. I, I want you to know that my Father in Heaven forgives you. When that woman did that, the whole courtroom burst out in singing Amazing Grace. And the man, Vanderbilt, fainted in her arms. And why did he faint? Because she was being loved by the Father in Heaven who loved him. Do you know that love? I'm serious. Do you know Jesus Christ? I encourage you today. If you're like, man, I'm sick of my sin, I'll tell you, God is so good. I don't give you own $100 billion to forgive your debt. But if you're a Christian and you're professing this and you have stuff against people, I'm, I'm, this is a great warning to repent of your sin. And please forgive your husband, your wife, your children, your parents. Because the gospel is serious business. Let's pray together.